Hi there. We're back this week talking about making things right again after wrongs have been acknowledged and confessed, knowing that we're called to forgive. This can be incredibly hard because it's not normal in our culture. We're more likely to cancel someone who's offended us, but that's not what God did to you or to me. Your Reengage workbook contains an excellent outline for reconciliation and peacemaking. So, this supplemental lesson is going to focus on what gets revealed during this season of conflict. We hope you find it useful. This hardly needs an introduction because we all experience conflict. And for me, I don't know if this is true for you, but conflict is usually confusing. It's like I often don't know what's going on, how it started, or it's like trying to make sense out of a car wreck. Uh, because I literally find that we, there are so many times where there's, there might be a fight going on over something that there's no sensible reason as to why it started. I like to ask people, what's the dumbest thing you fought about? And I've heard a good variety of answers. Some of them come from my marriage, but one of them came from ours is the right way to hang the curtains. Early on, Brandy and I got into one of our biggest fights over how to hang the curtains, whether to use paper towels or rags, how to load the dishwasher. Were you five or 10 minutes late? Whether to take a right on Hewlin or to go straight. I mean, these are the types of answers I've heard. And the fact is that we, we all fight. Everybody fights with their spouse, but the reasons are sometimes silly, sometimes they're not, but I do know that making sense of them is, is very difficult to do. Navigating them in a way that's godly is even more difficult to do. And I think one of the challenges, one of the reasons that's the case is we always feel right when we're fighting. I know I always feel like whatever I'm fighting for, I'm fighting for the right thing. And the same would go for my spouse. What I want to do or attempt to do is I want to deconstruct conflict in 25 minutes by reading a passage in James, James chapter four. And the thing that is good about this passage is when I start reading it, you're going to hear very general language. We know nothing specific about what, who James is addressing, about what was going on with the people he was originally addressing. But it's written in such a way that it's so general that we can take our conflicts, the conflicts we encounter in our own marriages, and place it right into James chapter 4 and know that he's speaking right to us. So let's look at what God's Word tells us about conflicts. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 to start. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Like I said, there's nothing specific about that. He talked, any, any, any quarrels, any fights can be addressed in this. And because of that, this is absolutely relevant for us today. So when I think about fights going on in the early church, I don't picture knockdown, drag out fights. 
But the truth is the language of this, of, of, of James chapter four, it sounds like the fights were pretty ugly. And it really leads to this first point. The first thing we learn about conflicts from God's word here is conflict. And I'm going to insert conflicts in your marriage. Conflict in your marriage reveals a deeper problem that is always worse than you think. Conflict in your marriage reveals a deeper problem that is always worse than you think. I don't know about you, but sometimes the fights, they can feel like just small things, you know, nothing big, just a little, a little uh, dispute going on. And the same thing kind of happens in this passage where it's the, the language that James uses, it starts off as sounding kind of like a small thing, but the, the words he uses to, to describe fighting and quarreling, it escalates. L- look at the words he has in here. He starts off saying, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Okay, that's no big thing. But then he says, are they not the passions that war within you? We've gone from fighting and quarreling to there's a war going on. And then the next escalation, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now, were, were there body bags, you know, coming out of the early church in James's day? Well, except for in Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira, that, that would be a body bag situation. There, there were, I don't think that this was a literal murdering that was happening in, in these fights that he's talking about. They were fights and quarrels from our perspective, from the perspective of the people in, in the church at the time. This was, these were just fights and quarrels. But it, as, you, as the camera pans up and you see this from God's perspective, he's seeing people who are at war with each other. And then even a step further, in their fighting, they're murdering each other. And like I said, is it, they, I don't think they were literally murdering each other. I, I, I think that from God's perspective, though, it is akin to murder. Last week, looking at communication, we brought up the verse Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, when we use our words to get what we want, and in the process of someone standing in our way, we begin to cut them down. What's coming out of our mouth soon becomes words of death. And we're using our, our words as, as weapons. And so from our perspective, yeah, no big deal. Fight, quarrel. But from God's perspective, it's war. It's murder. You know, I think of a, just a, a practical everyday example. Your wife corrects the way you put the dishes in the dishwasher. You know, you feel like she might be condescending towards you. And, and then that moment, instead of just listening and changing the way you're loading the dishwasher, you turn around and say some cutting remark in response, or you get condescending in, in turn, or say you're the one to talk, or whatever it might be. It seems like no big deal, but you're actually, you're not, you're not using your words to give life. I, I know I mentioned this last week. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. I, that is an absolute false statement. The, the words that are coming out of our mouth in the middle of a fight are words that can steer the soul. They can harm somebody. And when we are using them in the context of fighting in a way that is reckless, we are causing damage that we can't begin to estimate. So if you see 
your fights and your quarrels is a real serious issue, you're on the right track to taking it, taking a, a, having a serious need for a remedy. But if you kind of see it as like no big deal, we, yeah, sure we fight, sure we have conflicts. If you see it as no big deal, then you won't need the remedy God gives you. It's really important to see that conflicts reveal a problem that's worse than we think. So I'm going to ask you, how do you view your conflict? How do you view your fights that occur in your marriage? Think back to the last fight that you had. Have you minimized it? Have you attributed it to something superficial? Have you blamed your spouse or held them as primarily responsible for it? Or have you written it off or called it a simple weakness in you? James's advice would be don't minimize it. It's worse than you think. We all need to be appropriately sobered by our sinful condition before we can begin to receive God's gracious correction and gracious solution. So here's the second thing I see in this. The fundamental issue in conflict is always simpler than you think. Many of the times that I'm in a fight, I get confused somewhere in there. Like, what are we fighting about? What, what did you say? Or I think I remember what I said and then I misquote what I said earlier. And I, this, it always to me feels like I'm trying to process a car wreck. I get confused and I really appreciate what James does in this passage because he clarifies by getting very simple. Look at verses one and two again. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? What's this about? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, underline that word desire. You do not, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Now, when you try to trace the source, it, it gets very difficult. And James comes along and says, all right, I, I want you to try to diagnose what, what causes quarrels and fights. It's something that's inside you. It's your desires. And that's the word that I'm underlining. I want you to underline that because that's the source of the conflict. You have a desire. So here's, here's how I have it on, on your notes. Diagnosing the main issue in conflict. Where should you look? Well, James says, look within you. That's the last place I want to look. I want to look at what Brandy said, what she did, or what she failed to say or see or recognize, or what happens, you know, anywhere else, anywhere else other than within me. But James says, hey, I'm talking to you, Ryan. Look within you. And if Brandy were reading this, I'm talking to you, Brandy. Look within you. Where do you look? You look inside. And what are you looking for? You're looking for your driving desires, your sinful cravings. The word is literally, uh, it's the Greek word epithumia, which means over desires. You know, when you, when you think of these desires, they're not usually bad things that we're desiring. They're usually good things. But epithumia, epi means over. It, it's an over desire. It often gets translated as lusts. But when you think of the word lust, you think more in the sexual direction. And this is broader than that. You can have an over desire for respect. I want you to respect me. And that's good and that's fine. But if I over desire it, I demand it. I have to have that. And I will say anything I have to say in order to get you to respect me. And 
It could be the desire for intimacy, a desire for um, approval or power or control, you name it. So we're looking for, we're looking inside of ourselves and, and James, God through James is telling us to look for our driving desires. So let me, let me give you a, a, an everyday kind of example that is so realistic that I just barely changed the names. This isn't necessarily some, a, 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 an argument that Brandy and I have had but it's close enough that I've changed the names to Brian and Randy, okay? So here's the situation. Brian was supposed to be home at 5.30 for date night. Instead, he came home at 5.47, and Randy is not happy. Okay, so what, what, is, what is Brian seeing? Well, he's seeing this. His wife is being critical, accusing. She's irritated. She's angry. She's hurt. She's seen him in response becoming defensive, withdrawn, apathetic, and even kind of passive aggressive. Now, in both cases, they both have something to be upset about in the way the other person is behaving. And if they're focusing on the other person, on each other, this argument is going to go back and forth. But progress can be made if you step into Randy's shoes, if she looks inside of herself and she recognizes, I need my husband to connect with me. That's the driving desire for Randy. She needs her husband to connect with her. On Brian's side, he's saying, I need to succeed somewhere. I need to be, I need to succeed somewhere. And if it's not going to be here at home, it's got to be, back there at work and maybe that's why he stayed late but in both cases they are defending their own desires that's what's driving them and progress can be made if Brian stops looking at what he sees in Randy's heart or in her behavior if he looks at his own heart and he says to himself why do I why am I looking to work instead of to God to feel successful progress can begin to happen the moment he takes his eyes off her and looks inside of himself. Here's, here's the point for your notes that I want you to walk away with this. Conflicts don't create the problem. They reveal the problem. And sure, granted, the way we engage in conflicts can be part of the problem, but so often it's what's in our hearts, the driving desires that's being revealed in the conflict. So the problem, it's cravings. What, what kind of cravings am I talking about? So what kind of desires? On the back of your notes, I've listed common desires, common cravings of the heart, things that we feel we need to have. And as you, if you look through that list, you might see that there's some of those things that, that really connect with you. And other things, you kind of, I don't struggle with that. But if you know your own heart, you're more likely to, to recognize what is it that I'm really fighting for right now? So the problem is simpler than you think. And try asking yourself this simple question. What am I defending? What am I afraid of? If you want to clarify what's going on in an argument, ask yourself, what am I really fighting for? Is my main desire, and this is a convicting question, is my main desire to honor God and be a blessing? Or is my main desire, am I fighting for something different than that? If your main desire is not to honor God, then you have a misdirected craving. It's that simple. What if the craving is not misdirected? What, what if you have a godly desire 
but you're still fighting. For example, you, um, your husband watches Sports Center instead of connecting with the family. Well, okay, that's a godly desire. You want your husband to connect with you and with the family, but if, if you, your main desire is truly to honor God, it's going to be pursued in a God-honoring way. If you want your wife to, to get off Pinterest and whatever it might be, that, that could be fine. It's a good thing. But every argument that we get into is over a good thing. I mean, maybe you're going to shop for a minivan and you value being um, a good steward with your money and, and she values safety. Well, maybe you're going to de- desire different cars for two different godly reasons. Somewhere along the lines, we have to ask, what does it look like to honor God? And is that what I'm really fighting for? So you fight your quarrel. You do not ask because you do not have. That's what James says. And maybe you've been in that position where it's like, yeah, but I do ask God for help in the middle of my conflicts. And he says, well, you ask and you do not receive because you ask for it wrongly, to spend it on your own passions. Question I have for you is, do you know your own motives in fighting? I think we're pretty generally blind to our own motives. The desires and cravings being defended are offending God unless God is our main desire and and to honor him. So that's why James goes on to say in in verses four and on, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? These desires, from God's perspective, no matter how good they are, if it's not God and wanting to honor Him, these desires are a form of adultery in His eyes. It's a form of adultery. So how do you get out of this quagmire? How do you get out of these conflicts? Leads to my last point here is that the solution to conflict that James gives us is easier than you think. Verse 6 says, But He gives more grace, Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Are you proud? In your conflicts, are you proud? Well, the answer to that, I think, is that if, you're, if you have a higher estimation of your motives in any argument, if you have a higher estimation of your motives than God does, then you're proud. And God is not on your side in that. Even if you're right, unless your motive is to honor God, then he's not on your side. Then you're proud. And God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this is, an important, this is important to remember. In conflict, you have a, an opponent, a more serious opponent than your spouse. And it's God. In conflict, you have a more serious opponent than your spouse. It's God. So if this is true, the prescription is very simple. Humble yourself. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So to to solve conflict, you must humble yourself first before God and then before your spouse. So before God means to submit to him, to draw near to him, to confess and to repent in the areas that your desires are not primarily to love and to serve him. 
doing that, confessing, those things are ways to humble ourselves. But the thing that's so great about this is we're not confessing to a God who's ready to backhand us or just shaking his head at us. We're confessing to the one who gave us verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We get to confess as proud people. We get to confess our sinful motives, even the bad way we fight. We, we get to confess those things to a God who's already forgiven it. And how can God make it that easy? He's calling us to humble ourselves before a good God and he makes it easy for us. I'm not saying that it's easy to humble yourself, but we don't get a God who takes his anger out on us. And the reason he's made it easy is because he made it extremely difficult for his son. I mean, Jesus came, he was truly humble. He obeyed God, he was always right. But instead of being entrenched and being proven right, he actually went to the cross is being perceived wrong by the world. And God treated his own son as if he were the ultimate wrong, as if, as if every sin committed had been, was, was on him and God judged his own son. He punished his son so that we could come to him and confess our, our pride, our sin, whatever it might be. We get to humble ourselves before a good God who is gracious to us. And when we do that, we, when we humble ourselves before him, we're basically saying, I have no right to take the high ground and say that I'm right. I want to honor you. I want to fight the way you want me to, I want to handle this conflict the way you want me to handle it. And often that's going to be laying down your agenda, laying down your pride, humbling yourself, humbling yourself before your spouse, but first humbling yourself before God. If you humble yourself before God and you, you experience that, then you can take these steps that make it a lot easier to humble yourself before, before your spouse. You can, before your spouse, you can sincerely say, I'm, I apologize. And you refer to the confession. Uh, confess your sin. Be specific about how you're wrong and, and, and be brief. But if your main desire is to be humble before God and to honor Him, the conflict takes on a whole new, whole new dimension in, in a way that's beautiful. Let's go back to the situation with Brian and Randy. He, instead of looking at her behavior and thinking that she's being critical and accusing, he starts looking at his own heart. I need to succeed somewhere. Instead of focusing on, on her, he's focused, he focuses on his own heart. The internal dialogue might sound something like this. Instead of saying, man, what's wrong with her? He could say, God, I've turned my back from you and away from my wife by looking at the wrong things to feel successful, to feel worthy. Even if my wife is fr frustrated with me, you call me to love her. I stand before you, God, not before my wife. So help me to love her in a way that honors you. That's a very different approach on that argument for her. Instead of focusing on how she doesn't feel loved, she doesn't feel pursued or, or valued in, in, for a date night that night. Instead of focusing on that, she could say, God, you didn't call me to change my husband and I'm not supposed to look to him to have my needs met. I'm supposed to look to you. Help me to be filled up by you and to love my husband 
and a proper response. If we focus on our own hearts and confess the driving desires, the conflict changes from the inside out because we all know we can't change other people, but God can change us. So let me pray. Father, would you allow us, give us the clarity to see what's going on in the conflicts and the fights that we engage in? Would you help us to take our eyes off of other people or the circumstances or the ways we've been wronged and stop and follow your instructions to look inside our own hearts, to look at our driving desires and to recognize we're not, our driving desire is, is not to honor you. Help us to confess that to you. Help us to humble ourselves before you. And then help us to humble ourselves before our spouses. Teach us what it looks like to handle conflict in a way that honors you. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.